with me, if you would, to uh, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. A few weeks ago, we began reading through 2 Peter, and that took us three weeks, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Uh, today, what I'd like to do is to, and it sounds difficult, probably, hopefully it won't be, but I'd like to preach one message that just gives us an outline of the whole book together, so just to see the whole thing at one time. Um, there's a central message to this book. I, I'm, I've given it to you. It's the promise. In this book, we have the promise of growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The promise of growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, uh, probably next week, I believe, Lord willing, next week, we will take a look at uh, 2 Peter, how it fits with 1 Peter, how it fits with uh, James, how it fits with uh, Hebrews. We've spoken a little bit about that. But we're going to go into greater detail concerning that uh, next week. What I'd like you to see this week is just simple. I, I'm hoping it's simple. Just five points that you'll notice that what God wants you to understand is that if we're going to be what God would intend for us to be, if you're really a new creature, if you're born again, this is written to those that are new creatures. If you're a new creature, then God promises that you can grow. Not only that you can, but that you will grow. He gives us a look at what that looks like, at what, the, what adding from this to this to this to this, where we arrive if we're growing as God would have us to be, how that matters not only in our lives but in the lives of those around us. And then what would hinder that? What would, what would keep us from growing as we should? God reveals that to us. And finally, he, he sums this all up by making it clear that we can, because of who we are, we don't have to focus on the things that could hinder us. We can just focus on Him. And He will be the one that will accomplish this in our lives. If you, when we see the whole thing together, it's interesting because, as I, I know I mentioned this before, it takes, I want to say, 20 minutes, maybe a little less than 20 minutes, to read all the way through 2 Peter. But because of the way so many of us read our Bible, we read it a chunk at a time, maybe a chapter at a time, a piece at a time, if you understand, and we lose sight of the flow. We lose sight of the way it goes together. And God wants us to understand all of our Bible that way. He wants us to understand how it flows together. He gave it that way. He gave 2 Peter as, a, as a, an epistle, a book, a letter. It was, it's a short letter. It's only three chapters long. So we're going to see that, Lord willing, today. So let's just begin Chapter 1, verse 1, we'll read and then we'll pray and then we'll look at this together. 2 Peter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you that you'd bless now as we would just look into your word, that we would understand what it is that you want us to see, that you would use, it's your word, Lord, it's not mine, that you would take your word and that you, by your own power, Holy Spirit, would use your word and accomplish your will in our lives. Lord, bless us, Lord, cause us to understand, to truly, deeply understand what it means to grow 
to understand what it is that could hinder us. And Lord, that we would be rescued from those things that would hinder us by faith, simply trusting you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. But I want you to notice in verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant. So this is, this is given to us through the heart of someone who is an apostle. This is tremendous, quote-unquote, spiritual authority. Someone who's been entrusted with a great deal. Someone who's going to die is going to tell us in this epistle that he knows that it's close to the time for him to lay down his life, that God has shown him how he's going to die and that he's going to die soon. But he wants you to understand as he, as he shows us these things that he's just a servant. And I say just a servant because that's all any of us are. All we are, all we were ever meant to be, were those that would love one another, selflessly love one another, and serve one another, really be a help to each other. And it says that we have obtained. So he's written this. It says, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. So this epistle is not really an evangelistic epistle. In other words, there are parts of our Bible that are given primarily to those that are not saved, that they might know their need for salvation, and then they might see the way of salvation and might be assured of salvation. But this one is written to those of us that are new creatures. This is the, one of the reality epistles. What do you really have? You profess to be a new creature. You say that you've been saved, that you've been bought by the blood, that everything in your life is new. If that's true, and I hope it is, then what does that look like? And what he says here is this. This is written to those of you that have obtained like precious faith with us. Now, how did we get this? Well, we got this through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So how did we get this salvation how did we obtain this gift of faith how did we get it and the answer is not through our works if you want to see this write this in your notes turn there now if you want to ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 i'm going to read verses 4 through 10 I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because i want to move on but i want you to see what it says what the righteousness of god causes us to have in our in faith but god Ephesians 2, 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I just want you to notice two things. They're both in verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, that precious faith that we see back in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 1. By grace you say through faith, through trust. And that, not of yourselves. What does it say? It is the gift of God. So here's this. How many of you can say and say honestly, I have obtained the precious faith that Peter obtained? Amen? I obtained it through faith. I obtained my salvation by trusting what Christ has done. His righteousness made me whole. Amen? 
Not my righteousness made me whole. Not my righteousness allowed me to approach God. My righteousness was keeping me away from God because my righteousness was actually my selfishness. My righteousness was my wickedness. And I could not approach God. But God so loved me that he gave his son so that he could give me life. Amen? That's how this begins. So the first point, I said there were five points. The first point is grace and peace multiplied. Grace and peace multiplied. It begins in chapter 1, verse 2. And it actually says literally this. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. I think I would like for you, to, for your own sake, to circle multiplied. In a little while, we're going to add. Okay? In a little while, we're going to add. The Bible's actually going to say add this, add this, add this, add this. But in order for you and I to add anything in our lives, it's going to have to be because of the multiplied grace and peace that God has given us. In other words, in order for our lives to really be seen as changed by each other, as we would in obedience really say yes to God working in our lives, changing our lives, it's going to be the multiplied grace and peace that God alone can give us. Notice what it says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord, and of Jesus, our, our Lord. Where does your peace come from? Where does your peace come from? And if your peace, listen, if your peace comes from any place other than knowing how great God is, it is not a lasting peace. If your peace comes in your circumstances, when your circumstances change, so will your peace. If the grace that you have, if the grace that God gives you is conditional on things going well in your life, then when things aren't going well, as you measure them, by the way, in your life, you will think that God's grace has left. But it hasn't. It says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. God wants your knowledge of Him to be so wonderful that you would enter into a multiplied understanding of what it is to have his grace and his peace. It is not possible for me to stand up here this morning and to convey to you how much God loves you, how significant his grace is, and how completely at peace he wants you to be. Now, it is easy to express because you can see it on the cross. You can see Jesus, who never sinned, who never did anything wrong, having been rejected by Israel, having been rejected by the Romans, having been rejected by all of mankind, bleeding and dying for us. And while he's bleeding and dying, being insulted for doing it, right? He said he trusted God the Father, if he really trusts God the Father, why doesn't he get down? If he's really God, why don't you just get down? And the answer is, because I am God, I will not get down. Because I'm not here for me, I'm here for you. See, that's grace. And that grace is meant to give you peace. It's not meant to simply give you peace, it's meant to multiply your peace. And if your knowledge of God, listen, 
If your knowledge of God is one where God is a doer of things for you, God is the doer of things for you. In other words, I need God to do this and I need God to do that. If that's your relationship with God, then you don't really understand grace. Because when God, if, if God deserves to do something for you, then you've earned what God is doing. And if you've earned it, then it's not grace anymore. But you haven't earned it. If you really understood you and you really understood God, it would continually bring you to joyful tears. Perhaps first they would be sorrowful tears as you got a good glimpse of who you are. As you see yourself, as you continue to see your own actual failure, the depths of your own selfishness, it does bring you to tears. But then when you see the grace of God that would forgive a wretch like you, you still, you still may remain in tears. They are tears of, maybe be hot tears, by the way, but they are tears of joy. Who am I that you would forgive me? And this is what he wants you to understand. That grace is what's going to cause you to grow. That grace and peace being multiplied in your life is what's going to cause the growth that we're going to see right after this. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ according as his divine power. <laughs> what kind of power is that, honestly? Think about it for a minute. According as his divine power. Try, try keeping the sun going for a minute, right? Or all of the stars and all of the sky. Try keeping everything together. Try keeping all of the atoms in your body together. All of the cells in your body feeding your body. Try doing any of that or all of that. His divine power. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Amen? What a tremendous gift. Everything that you will ever need to be the man or woman that God would have you to be, he gives you. He has never once asked you to produce any of this. He has simply asked you to trust him to accomplish it in you. You say, well, I see God has accomplished it in Hudson Taylor. I see God has accomplished it in um, Amy Carmichael. I see God has accomplished it in Charles Spurgeon. I see God has accomplished it in... The same thing that he accomplished in them, he can accomplish in you. Because he has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now notice how, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So the God that has called us to this is the God who has promised to give this to us. And all you have to do, listen, all you have to do is open your Bible. And say, show me your son. Isn't that amazing? It's not, it's not a, it's not a um, your Bible is not a, uh, what's the word? I was going to say it quickly and cleverly, but it's escaped me. It's not going to be nearly quick nor clever anymore. <laughs> the real question is whether I'm even going to be able to remember. Uh, trivia, trivia pursuit. The purpose of Bible knowledge, I, don't, I won't even play Bible trivia. Because if I won, if I don't win, how tragic would that be? Two, if I do win, then what boasting could there be in that? Amen? Well, we're glad that you knew the answers to those questions, Pastor. Your Bible is not a place for you to be able to learn trivia. Your Bible was given to you as a love letter from God. It's meant to be devotional. He simply wants you to know how much he loves you and wants that love to so change your life that we love him, we love each other, and we love everybody around us. This is the power of God. This is the promise of God. And this is how it happens. 
as you continue to see how great Jesus is, again, it really isn't about how great Baptists are or how great this church is or how great that church is or how great that preacher is or how great this book writer is. It's not about any of that. It's how great Jesus is. If anything else arrests your attention, it's a waste of your attention, I'm promising you. If you don't, if you don't leave here today saying, I need to know how great Jesus is, then I have failed you as the preacher. Because Jesus is awesome. This is all, by the way, you're going to find, this is all the, that the Apostle Peter cares about. He says this, he's going to say, I have nothing new to preach to you, but I'm going to keep reminding you how great Jesus is. Because that's how you're going to grow. That's how you're going to go forward. And if you're lost sight of that, if you've lost sight of how wonderful Jesus is, it will hinder your growth. It will hinder your walk with God. Verse 4 says this, whereby, whereby through this knowledge, through this will of God, multiplying grace and peace in your life, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these, by what? By these promises, these exceeding great and precious promises, by these ye may be, may be partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So here's how it began. And we're just going to see this for just a moment. This is how it began. How did my walk with God begin? And here's how it began. I escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's how it began. I was in the same corruption as everybody else. Yes? You want to see this? Turn back to James. It's just a couple of pages. Turn back to James chapter 1, if you would, please. James chapter 1. It's very important. This corruption that is in the world. By the way, the word corruption here doesn't mean political corruption. It doesn't mean um, a business corruption. What it means is actual corruption. It means rotting corruption. It means decaying corruption. What's, this is so important that we understand this. The world is dying around us. The world is decaying around us. How did this corruption come? How did this death, death come? How did this decaying come? Let's go back to James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own, what? Lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth, what? Sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth, what? Death. This is where the decay is coming from. Listen, look at me. Everybody look at me. The decay, you can be strongly anti this party, strongly anti that party, strongly anti this, strongly anti that. You can be strongly anti whatever you want to be. Here's the problem. All of the death, all of the corruption in the world that's in the world is coming from our individual, what? Lust. My lust ruining your life. My strong desire. By the way, the word lust simply means strong desire. That's all it means. When we use the word lust in American Christianity, we typically, for some reason, use it having to do with sexual sin. And while that's included, it simply means I have a strong desire for something. And again, I know I've said it before. I think it was basket weaving I made it last, you know, last time we were talking about. You can have a strong desire for basket weaving. I had somebody say, you know, I'm glad you didn't say underwater basket weaving. You really would have been meddling in my life if you had gone there. 
whatever, and, the, and the, again, somebody said to me, why did you use basket weaving? Nobody has a problem with basket weaving. I said, that's why I used it. Here's the problem with naming sins from the pulpit. If I name sins from the pulpit and I don't name yours, then you get to go away saying, well, it's not me he was talking about this morning. But the Holy Ghost can deal with every one of our hearts because he knows your lust and he knows my lust. But Christ came to set us free from our lust, right? Listen, your salvation begins with being set free from the corruption that's in the world through lust. Your lust. Do you understand? The corruption that's in the death that's in the world is here because of your lust. He didn't come to set you free from the Romans. He didn't come to set you free from the Israelites. He didn't come to set you free from the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. He came to set you free from your lust. Praise God. And that's the beginning of growth. You cannot grow in grace. You cannot grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ until you have first been set free from your lust. Amen? As long as you must have your way, you will not have God's way. But as soon as you recognize that your way is not good, right? Your way is not right. Your way is not only not helpful to you, it's hurtful to everybody around you. It's destroying everybody. As soon as you realize that, God says, oh, I've been waiting for you to be honest with yourself about this because I want to rescue you because I love you. And I will rescue you. I will, get, I will allow you to be escape the corruption that's in this world through lust. Amen? Simple. Isn't it simple? Let's continue on. So for, first we see grace and peace multiplied. That's number one. Number two, growth added. Growth added. And by the way, in my notes, this is what I wrote. Number two, growth added because of grace multiplied. So the growth is added in your life because of the multiplied grace and peace that comes first. Look up here, please look up here. I do not know why so many churches today are going to preach messages where you're supposed to add this to your life and you're supposed to add this to your life without pointing out to you that you cannot add until grace is multiplied. You understand? If you're going to try to please God with your efforts, you're going to fail. And you're going to double down on it because it matters. It matters to you. If you're a new creature at all, it matters to you that you do the right thing. But you don't have the power in yourself to do the right thing. If you don't believe me, go read Romans chapter 7 again. And read Romans chapter 7 a lot. And come to yourself to realize that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. I do not have the power to do this. But because of the multiplied grace of God, these things can be true. So let's look at what this looks like. Growth added. And beside this, so be, having been set free, right, from the, from the corruption that's in the world through lust, by faith, have, because, of the, because of the multiplied grace and peace. Now, besides this, right? Isn't that important? Maybe underline it. And beside this. So in other words, because of that, since this has been true already, now, giving all diligence. So pay attention, he's saying. Pay attention in your own life. Add to your faith, which we just talked about, right? We have this light, precious faith. Now, now that you've trusted God and been set free from your sin, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, add knowledge. And to knowledge, you can add temperance. And to temperance, you can add patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, what? Charity, which is agape love. 
So here's what God says. Here's what happens. It starts with you trusting Christ. Right? Please save me from me. And please save everybody else from me too. Yes? That's where it starts. Please save me from me. And save everybody else from me. And save them from themselves. Amen? That's where it starts. He says, now, these are the things that are going to be added as you trust and you grow and you know Jesus more. This is what's going to happen in your life. And where do we end up? And where we end up is what's on the wall behind us, right? Where do we end up? Now, the end of the commandment. The whole point of all of this growth, the whole point of this is the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. So the whole point, as we continue to grow, we grow to the point where all our lives are our selfless love for other people. Amen? And that's all that Jesus ever wanted for us to begin with. That's all we were ever created for. You know, we were doing the funeral uh, for, for Kathy's mom this week. And uh, Thursday night, Thursday night, I was talking to uh, Dad, I was talking to Ray, and this is what he said. This is what he said. Pastor, I'm so, preacher, preacher, I'm so weak. I don't know that I'm going to make it. I said, Ray, we were not created to die. We were not created to die. And so we don't know how to deal with it. Do you understand? We were not created to die. We were created to live. We chose to die. We chose to bring that corruption into the world, right? Again, the word corruption is not political corruption. It's not uh, um, industry corruption. It's not scholastic corruption. That's not what it is. It's decay and death. We brought it in. How did we bring it in? Through our own selfishness. That's That's what happened. And Jesus has come. Listen, listen. Not just to rescue us from the penalty of our sins, though praise God he has rescued us from the penalty of our sins. But he has come to literally change us, change us, change us, change us until we're just loving people. Isn't that what we want? Honestly, if you're here this morning and you are a new creature, is there anything that you could possibly want more than just to actually be a help to all the people that you were around? An actual help to them. Not, not, let me give you my way so that you can walk the way I walk. That's one of the greatest mistakes that young Christians make. I made it as a young Christian. I became convicted about this. My conviction was about uh, drinking. My conviction was about women. My conviction was, was about fighting. I had conviction about a lot of things. And here's what happened. I wanted to push my convictions on everybody else. Y'all got to be like me. And the answer is no, they don't. They got to be like Jesus. Amen. And let God deal with them as God deals with them. Let God deal with you as God deals with you. Amen? And that's what Christian liberty actually is. Christian liberty is not I get to do whatever I want. Christian liberty is I get to let God change me. And not you change me. Amen? God will change us through his word. There will be wonderful things. What does it say? What does it look like? It tells us. What does the growth added look like? It looks like this. It has virtue. The first thing after faith is virtue. Wow, that's remarkable. Suddenly I'm a different kind, somebody, suddenly I'm someone you could trust with your money or your kids. That's remarkable that I could be changed like that. I could be a good influence on your children, that God would allow me to be such a man to be a good influence on your children. That's what God says. Add to your, add to your faith virtue. And the virtual, invert the virtue, knowledge, that I would continue to grow and to understand the things that God wants. And then I would have temperance. Now, here's a wonderful thing. The idea of growing beyond knowledge is to know what to do with that knowledge. To know when to say something and when to say nothing. When to be quiet. God help us to all be able to be quiet. And the temperance, patience. 
and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, just simple brotherly kindness, which the world should be full of anyway, and after that, charity. Growth matters. Verse 8, growth matters. This godly growth matters. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what happens. If these things, if this growth is going on in you and it abounds, if it continues to grow, then you will not be barren or unfruitful. How many, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I, I almost would like you to raise your hands. I just don't want anybody to feel the need to be, whatever the word is, looking down on somebody else because of them raising their hand. But how many of you would say, honestly, I am not as fruitful as I know I should be? Yeah, amen. Yeah, okay, good, amen. I am not as fruitful as I know I should be. Well, here's, and here's, and then here's what has to happen. You have to add these things in your life. You have to let God accomplish these things in your life. Because as they're added in our lives, we will become less and less unfruitful. It says that we will not be barren. In other words, we would produce the fruit that God wants to accomplish. By the way, listen, you can be a Christian. You can be born again and be a barren Christian. A Christian that doesn't produce the fruit that God wants to produce. Now listen, since the Bible says you shall know them by their fruits, this is a very dangerous place to be. In this book, in the book of 2 Peter, we're going to talk about Lot. And Lot's testimony is terrible. Lot's testimony is abysmal. He has very little testimony at all. And I have met people that I, I really wouldn't want to do their funeral. Because they profess to believe something that you just didn't see as they continue to walk. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible Terrible place to be. And it is possible that those people are just not new creatures at all. But here's what he says. If you don't want to be barren, if you don't want to be unfruitful, then let God continue to grow you. Continue to grow in your knowledge of Christ that he will continue to change you into the man or woman he'd have you to be. So growth matters. Lack of growth matters also. Verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. If you lack this growth, you will lose sight. This is, this is a tragic thing. You will lose sight of what God has done in your life. And here's what happens when that happens. You become critical of other people. You start thinking that other people ought to be better than they are because you don't realize how terrible you are. You don't, how ter you don't realize how terrible you were, and you don't realize how terrible in you that is in your flesh there dwelleth no good thing. You, don't, you forget that. You don't understand that. But if these things are in your life, if the graces that God is producing in your life are allowed to grow in your life, to be added in your life, you're going to become more and more aware of just what a jerk you are. You are. And you're going to be okay with it. Because you're going to become more and more aware of how great he is. And you're going to know you, and you're going to know him, and it's going to make you love them. That's what's going to happen. If you don't love them, it's because you don't know you. If, you, if. if you understood you, you would be a lot less critical of them. Once you understand how great the grace of God is toward you, you will begin praying for that same grace toward them instead of looking down at them for the lack of it in their lives. C, growth makes us sure. So the, the, number two, growth added because of grace multiplied. The third thing we see is that growth makes us sure. Growth matters, lack of growth matters, and growth makes us sure. This is in verses 10 and 11. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. 
For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you continue to grow in these things, you will begin to walk in heaven on earth. And this is what God wants for us. You will begin to live the life that God wants for you now, and it will be so wonderfully apparent to everybody around you when it's time to go just exactly where you went. They will know that you are absent from your body, you are present with the Lord, because they will have seen this, what? Your calling and election was sure. How? Through the growth in your life. Number three, growth accomplished through the word of God. And we're not, I'm going I'm to move quickly over these last three points. There's much. We're going to study the whole book. This is just an overview of the whole book. But I want you to see how it goes together. Growth accomplished through the word of God. What I want you to notice is this. Godly preachers and teachers, who, which Peter is one of, want you to remember the word of God and focus on Christ Jesus. Godly preachers and teachers want you to remember the word of God and focus on Christ Jesus. Notice what he says, wherefore, because I want these things, this growth to be in your life, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. In other words, I have no new message for you. The message that I have for you is this. Remember what the Word of God says. Remember what the Word of God says. Grow in your understanding of what the Word of God says. Grow in your knowledge of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Just keep going like this. Do you want to know why um, churches, some churches are populated today? They'll have a lot of people in them. Because the, entertain, the entertaining factor is high. From the coffee and bagels that you get when you come in, to that which calls itself music, through the little tiny, tiny sermonette that they'll get at some point in there, all of the feeding of the flesh, all of the entertainment value will cause people to go. And what the Apostle Peter said is this, I don't want you to have any of that. I just want you to keep growing in the Word of God. I want you to remember the Word of God and I want you to grow in it. Notice what he says. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's meat. I think it's important. I think it's right. As long as I am in this tabernacle, as long as Peter was on the earth, he thought it was important to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. In other words, I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. I even know how I'm going to die. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance i want to preach in such a way that when i'm gone it's not me that you remember it's the word of god that you remember and that isn't that commendable for a man of god i want to preach in such a way that when i'm no longer here you won't remember me but you will remember the word of god that's what God wants. That's what God wants to accomplish in the lives of his children. That's what he wants to accomplish in the lives of his servants. Godly preachers and teachers simply walk with God, verses 16 through 18. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. In other words, <laughs> it's, it's an unfortunate reality. Uh, when you read textbooks, I read a lot of books. When you read books written by uh, Christians in America that are alive in America today, it doesn't take very long before you'll, you'll be able to have some idea of the schools, schools they are associated with, okay? Because, listen to me, because we seem to care more about our flags than we do about Jesus. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? We seem to care more about our camps than we do about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We've got to let go of that. 
This is what he says. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. In other words, we didn't grow up under this group of people with this school system and this training. That's not what it's about. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, it wasn't because somebody persuaded us that this was true. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We walked with Jesus. For he, re for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came to heaven we heard when we were with him in that holy mount. He simply walked with Jesus. This is what he's saying. My testimony to you is this. Jesus is worthy. Period. Not our camp is worthy. Not my church is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Period. That's the testimony. And then, this is when, and then it goes from this. The godly preacher and teacher wants you to, in your confidence to be in the word of God itself, not even in the one preaching it. Do you understand? This is so critically important. He is an eyewitness on the Mount of Transfiguration. Raise your hand if you were on the Mount of Transfiguration. None of you? Because you weren't, right? right? There were three people, humanly speaking, on the Mount of Transfiguration, yes? And you weren't one of them. But he's saying to you this. While I simply walked with Jesus, my testimony is not enough for you. My testimony is true. My testimony is honest. It wasn't cunningly devised. I didn't learn it here and I didn't learn it there. I just walked with Jesus. But here's what I would tell you. Even though I can say to you, I walked with Jesus, I'm telling you this. This is what it says. We have also, verse 19, a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Isn't this simple? This is what he's saying. You don't need the clever um, doctors of the law to teach you your Bible. You just need your Bible. Do you understand? You just need your Bible. Now, I believe that what I'm doing, God would have me to do I, as a pastor. I believe what we're doing right now is important. But what I'm doing right now is causing you to get confidence in this book, period. Do you understand? I just want you to be confident in what this book says. So all we're doing is looking at what this book says. This isn't about, in other words, it's not meant to be cute. It's not meant to be clever. It's not even meant to be memorable other than that you would leave here and say, Jesus is awesome. Jesus is awesome, and I can trust God at his word, period. And that's what he's saying. Is that not what he's saying? I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Read your Bible. Isn't that amazing? Pastors have had, some, you know, we've had many marvelous experiences. We've seen God, I mean, really here, just right here at Tidewater, we've seen God raise people up near dead, raise them up. We've seen people go through tremendously difficult things, and God rescue them through prayer. Yes, we have, we really have. You know what? None of that's as important as your Bible. Because faith cometh by, and hearing by, the word of God. You can trust God, and you can trust, listen, not as you think about him, not as you feel about him, you can trust him as he says about himself. That's critically important to us. We're almost done. We have two more chapters, but we're not going to take time to get through them, I just, because they, they basically have one heading each. Growth hindered through false teachers. So we just saw that uh, in the old time, God spoke through the Holy Ghost, through men. But it says in verse chapter 2, verse 1, but there were 
false teachers also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. How many of you wanted nothing to do with Christianity in America at some point in your life? Anybody want to raise their hand for that? How many want nothing to do with Christianity in America? Raise your hand please, if you would. How many want nothing to do with it? I wanted nothing to do with Christianity in America. Absolutely nothing to do with it. You want to know why? Because I thought that the people that I saw on television or heard when I went to many churches that I went to that they were a representation of who Jesus were. They weren't. Here's the good news. Whatever nonsense you have seen in Jesus' name, it's just that, nonsense. The only thing you need, the only opinion that you need to have about Jesus is what does the Bible say about him. Do you understand that? There will be, there will be false teachers. There will be. There will be. And many shall follow. The, I'm telling you, it's, it's Sunday. Hampton Roads is full of false teaching right now. And I'm not being mean when I say that. Hampton Roads is full of false And there are probably more people visiting churches where there's false teaching than visiting churches where there's real teaching. Probably just what's happening. And what's happening because of that? The way of truth is evil spoken of. How many of you have that coworker who won't shut up about Jesus and you wish they would? Not because, not, listen, not because you don't want Jesus to be glorified, but because they're talking about the wrong Jesus. They're just talking about nonsense. And everybody has to listen to them talk about nonsense, and, you're, and you just want to stand up and shout, listen, they're wrong. That's not who Jesus is. Do you understand? We've all worked with many of those people. And because of that, I wanted nothing to do with who Jesus was. And then I met Jesus. Do you understand? God help us to grow. Why? Because there have to be people in other people's lives where they can see the glory of God in our lives. And when they say to you, what makes you such a wonderful person? Your answer is, I'm not a wonderful person. I have a wonderful Savior. And they can, and they can trust the same Christ of the Bible that you trusted for your salvation. That's what God is wanting to accomplish. This goes all the way down to verse 22, all the way through the chapter. We're not going to study it all, but this, here's how it happens. But it has happened unto them, these false teachers, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to the wallowing in her mire. Those who follow these false teachers will live ungodly lives and pretend that it's okay to do so. And America is full of this Christianity. There's, if there's not a real change, remember, one of the first changes we just saw after faith is virtue. A change in your life that makes you ironically trustworthy to be around they, people say you know he, he seems like a good guy she seems like a good guy and you say i'm not but jesus has changed my heart amen five number five and we're done growth promised for the beloved i just want you to see this after all of this so here's what here's how you can grow here's why you should grow here's what can hinder you from growth and here's the last promise in the book god promises growth for the beloved notice what it says in chapter three verse one the second epistle, beloved, circle beloved here, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before of the holy prophets, and of the commandion of us and the apostles of our Lord and Savior. So the beloved, these are those who have that like precious faith from chapter 1. Here's the good news. If you're saved, you're saved because God loves you. 
And by the way, if you're not saved, God still loves you and wants to save you. But this promise of growth is to those who are the beloved, to those who are new creatures. And because he hath begun a good work in you, he's begun it, he's going to finish it. He will accomplish this in your life. You'll find it again in verse 8. But, beloved, be, ignorant, be, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And then in verses 17 and 18, we see it end with this. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But don't be that, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen? So here it is, very simple. Let me just go over the points again. So number one, grace and peace multiplied in your life. That's number one. Number two, because of that multiplied grace and peace, growth added in your life. Number three, growth accomplished in your life through the word of God. How is the growth going to be added in my life? And the answer is through the word of God itself. That's why reading and preaching and teaching are so important. But be careful because number four is growth is hindered through false teachers. Not all preaching and teaching is profitable. Not all people that you can find a, a podcast about or, a, or an online sermon for or a television program for are profitable. It's not all the same. It's got to be the word of God itself. Amen? And then lastly, if you're trusting God, if you're the child of God that is humbly and simply trusting God, then he promises that you will grow if you'll just let him accomplish in your life what he wants to. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us these couple of minutes together today. Lord, I thank you that you simply show us through this book that we can have and will have in our lives this growth that you want there to be in our lives, that we can be conformed to the image of Christ by your power, Lord, through your word, by your will. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me if you would. Thank you for being